Hi, and welcome to the Vancouver Life Podcast. This podcast is created to answer the most talked about questions when it comes to navigating the Vancouver real estate market. I'm your host, Dan Wartell, a licensed agent and accredited real estate investment advisor based here in Vancouver, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Dash. Hi, Dan. I'm also a local realtor, an exhausted father of two, husband of one, and really happy to be here. Let's get right into today's episode. Hey, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Vancouver Life Real Estate Podcast and YouTube channel. Today, we are getting into the January stats as they are out, the first stats of 2024. And as always, there is something unique going on. This time, we are seeing inventory do something it has literally never done before in history. So we're going to discuss that. We're going to dive into the prices. And we will talk also about the ever popular question of when are rates coming down and what's happening with inflation. So really exciting episode today. We're going to get through all of that. But real quick, right off the top here, if you are considering selling your house this year, well, we have created an incredibly in-depth guide on how to prepare your home to sell it for the highest price. You see, you only get one chance to sell your home. And so by doing just a few fundamental key improvements to your property, you can sell for top dollar, providing you the most amount of money for your next home or even better, a new home and some money to play with for the other great things in life. The guide is absolutely free. So to get your copy, just visit thevancouverlife.com forward slash top dollar. Now. Let's dive into this week's episode. And as always, we discuss sales first. What are sales volumes doing? What is the overall health of the marketplace? In January, well, keep in mind, we had a super slow year in 2023, so a low baseline to come off of, but we did see about 1,430 units sell last month. That was a 39% increase from the January of last year. So a big number, and it did increase over December, which it basically always does by about 7% or so. Though, as always, let's peel back. Let's look at the big picture. What does that really mean when we look at like the 10-year average, for example? It is still slow. It is 20% slower or lower rather than that 10-year average. So realistically, so far, we have started off 2024 just like we started off 2023 in a low sales landscape. Yeah. And that being said, when we start to look at listings, new listings, uh, the month finished with 3,788. That is a 14.5% increase compared to January of 2023. Still though, 9% below the 10 year seasonal average. So, and I'm sure if you've been out shopping for homes or you're looking for homes in January, you felt that. You've, I know in the number of open houses I've had over the last couple of weeks here, a common theme from a lot of buyers is there's still not enough product to look at. Yeah, the new listings are just not coming to market that quickly. You know, typically in January, sure, it's it's slower, right? A lot of people like to wait to list until spring. There's more activity in the marketplace and the weather's nicer and sometimes homes or your, you know, curb appeal is much higher. So it's understandable. But still, this is all resulting in really low inventory. I mean, we're still sitting at like 8200 homes available on the marketplace. And what happened that was so fascinating this month is that we actually saw a drop in inventory from December. So there were less homes available at the end of January than there were in December. And as far back as the data goes, this has never happened before. Not once. We always see inventory increase from December into January. 
So is this setting us up for yet another year of incredibly low inventory? Just like we saw last year that, you know, we are basically going to see a stabilized marketplace because of just there's like the, the floor has been set. You know, if there's nothing to buy and people buy up all the good ones, well, you know, you do see tend to see a bit of a floor in pricing. Last year, if you remember, we spent the majority of the year in a sub 10,000K active listings environment. And we haven't seen over 12,000 sustained listings dating back to 2020 almost four years now. So on top of this, we've anecdotally felt a real shift in the marketplace over about the last two or three weeks. All of a sudden, uh, our, our team members and our colleagues and our mortgage brokers are all discussing multiple offers and not like two offers on the table, not three, but like five, six, seven. And we're definitely seeing this in the detached home segment of the marketplace. So ultimately, like, why is that? What's happening? How are we in multiples in January? I think pretty straightforward here. When there are so few homes to choose from, the good ones are going to get a lot of attention and sell fast. And of course, we always love to hear the exciting stories in real estate, not the boring ones that my home didn't sell for three or four or five months. So <laughs> sure, yeah, the, the multiple stories are popping out. But that is a shift that we have not heard about for about the last four, five, six months. So it's um, it's palatable. Let's say that. Yeah, it's a noticeable trend, or, or sorry, a noticeable change, though what I would say is one month doesn't make a trend. So if this continues into February, I think then it'll be a noticeable shift in the marketplace, and maybe behavior will begin to shift along with it. When we look at the sales to active ratio, we're sitting at 17.3%, so right inside a balanced market. This is up from 15.9% and the second monthly increase after six months of declines. So if we break it down by asset class here, we're looking at detached homes sitting at 12%. That is hovering on a buyer's market, up 1% from said buyer's market. We're looking at 26% for townhomes. That is a strong seller's market, up 7% from the month before, and 20% for apartments, up 1% from a balanced marketplace the month prior. So some definite changes in sentiment that we're seeing here in the sales to active ratio. Of course, this is the best sort of behavior tool that we have to find out where things are likely headed. Seeing that it's increasing month over month, that is typically a decent sign of uh, the market beginning to recover and in potential preparation for the spring market. Now let's shift over and look at price because the HPI right now is sitting at about $1.16 million. And even though it may not feel like it, prices are still up from a year ago, over 4% higher than they were in January of last year. Though, let's look at the bigger picture here because they did drop last month about half a percent. And we are now in a declining market as prices have been dropping for six months straight, down about 4% during this downward trending market. Uh, this also equates to about $100,000 lower today than we were at absolute blow off top peak pricing back in April of 2020. So we're, we're about 9% off of peak pricing right now. Where's this going to go? Well, I mean, we certainly made our predictions earlier. And, you know, does this low inventory environment create a floor? Um, we'll see. I mean, let's find out. Let's, let's look to the other two metrics we track to, to help decipher this. Median, median barely moved, but it was to the downside, about $2,000. Average, on the other hand, actually 
increased once that dust settled. Uh, average prices went up like $11,000. So between those two, it's a bit of a, a stabilized look into what might happen here. But hey, after six months down, you know, does this start to create in a, an increasing active um, sales market? Does that increase the downward pressure? Or does the lack of inventory push back like it did all of last year? I mean, time will, will tell, but I think we are setting ourselves up here for a relatively price stable environment for at least the next three months here. Yeah, I largely agree. I think maybe the one caveat to that, to this, and, and we'll kind of get into it later in the episode will be, you know, over the last couple of years, we've had a humongous surge in population growth here. And some of those people who came a year and a half ago, two years ago, who started off by renting, whose PRs may now be through will be starting to enter the buying marketplace. So with less homes available than what we had last year and more people here, uh, the, I think it's a, a question as to when prices start to move up, and maybe a less so if, of course, all things remaining the same. Looking here at days on market here, uh, this is where things are maybe a bit of a lagging indicator. Uh, they're up seven, up a full week to 31 days on market. This is the highest in four years. And if you don't have a detached property, I think it's probably you're feeling this. A, it's taking a little bit longer to, for properties to sell. I think buyers are still anticipating rate cuts. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens here. But generally speaking, while there's a renewed sense of interest, and I would say a renewed sense of optimism, uh, it's the highest it's been in four years. And that's, uh, that's its own sign, its own signal as well. That's the stats. That wraps it up as sort of the snapshot of what happened last month. Now let's do a bit of forward vision guidance here, if you will, or at least some some best guesses <laughs> as we do. So we want to talk about rate cuts. And uh, just a quick note here, if you have not, please go back one week of our episodes because we interviewed Doug Porter, the chief economist from the Bank of Montreal last week and released that episode. It's already our third most watched ever of all time, really popular episode. And he made a lot of predictions and uh, provided some incredible forward guidance. So highly recommend checking out that episode. And But let's fast forward to today because the data is moving so fast and the predictions are moving just as fast. And, you know, let's talk about where we sort of sit and, and where we feel things might head today. Obviously, the spike in sales volumes in January, uh, all these talk of multiple offers, um, kind of shows that people might be getting ahead of what they think are future rate cuts, right? If you buy today and you go variable, um, as we're seeing more people do, variable rate mortgages are increasing in popularity right now because the consensus, as Ryan alluded to, uh, there's more there's more positive sentiment in the marketplace right now. And that means people think that prices, I guess, are going to go up and rates are going to go down. So they're getting ahead of it and they're buying now. But are they right or are they wrong? Because of course, <laughs> it could be a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that, you know, if, if we see a spike in sales and ultimately prices, it's going to add further challenges to the Bank of Canada in their ability to cut rates. So while just last month, the idea and the prediction of future rate cuts look likely, well, those are less likely just now, you know, our first week into February. We've seen bond yields jump and are now already at a two and a half month high. You know, that was very different a couple of weeks ago. We saw the USA job numbers continuing to surprise to the upside. Foreclosures in our local market are basically non-existent. And yeah, we did see the arrears rate lift from 0.16 to 0.17 last month. We are still well below those pre-COVID numbers of 0.25. 
And when we look to the most expensive provinces in the country, being obviously British Columbia and Ontario, those arrears rates did not lift last month. They were the same. So there's stability there too. Uh, last week, we saw the recent GDP print come. And guess what? It rose 0.2%. The economy's growing. Caveat, yes, that's a non-per capita GDP print. Don't need to get into that. You know our feelings on that. But anyway, the way that the BOC essentially is looking at it is, hey, we got a growing economy. Do note too that that GDP print did follow three months of zero growth. So now we are seeing growth. Okay, so the economy is accelerating right now. And what about our local jobs? Well, in Canada, the latest employment rate was unchanged at 5.8. We're not seeing job losses. No job losses. Economy is expanding. Up for debate, of course. No foreclosures. Arrears rates steady in the two strongest provinces in the country. And the USA is stronger than expected. That is ultimately a very hard landscape to cut rates in. And so now the markets are basically pricing in the first cut, maybe happening in July, right? We had April. No, sorry, we had March pegged for a while, then it was April, and now we're all the way to July. But who knows? Next week, that can change too, right? We could have data come in and dramatically change that outcome. But today, it's July. But let's, you know, maybe we come back next week, maybe we come back in July, and now we're saying, okay, now it's 25, 2025. So let's just for a minute here, explore what this year, what 2024 may look like if we don't get any rate cuts. And I am talking, of course, for the housing market, right? This channel is about Vancouver housing. Let's talk about that. Well, first off, even if there are no rate cuts, I stand steadfast in my belief that there will be no renewal cliff. That means all these people that are renewing their mortgages over the next two, three, four years are going to suddenly have to sell off their houses en masse and they're all going into arrears and they're all in trouble. I don't think we're going to see a significant cliff of any sort there. We've already seen 50% of, Canada, of Canada's mortgages uh, match the current uh, rates, right? Either they're variable or they've renewed. So about half. And here we are with foreclosures basically at all-time low and arrears at all-time low. So if we've taken a 50% segment of the marketplace, put them in today's rates, and we're barely seeing a shift in arrears and foreclosures, to me, that data says, well, it's going to maintain. Now, again, for anyone who's getting upset here, this is not to say that there's not a ton of pain out there. We know there is. and We say there is often, but the data is the data. And that's you know, where I typically go when I'm trying to uh, provide guidance into where I think things are going next. Number two, 2024. This year, I think, is likely going to mirror last year when it comes to low inventory and below average sales volumes. So this like standoff between buyers and sellers is still continuing, right? We're about 18 months into the standoff and the Hatfields and the McCoys are, are still waiting to see who fires the first shot. And then lastly, a lot of people ask in this marketplace, well, who's buying? How is anyone buying in this marketplace? A couple of things I want to share uh, about this. Every year we see about 30,000 homes sell in, in the lower mainland. And that is about 1% of the total amount of homes that exist. So every year, 1% of homes sell. And in a sense, one way of looking at that is, is can 1% of the marketplace afford the homes that are for sale? I mean, ultimately, yes, right? We see it year after year. And keep in mind, not everybody who's buying is a first-time home buyer coming up with $2 million bucks to buy a home, right? You got to think, someone who's downsizing, typically, that's a pretty easy and affordable move. If you're making a lateral move, your job change or whatever, you can typically afford that. And a lot of people are selling and then buying, right? They are their move uppers as well. So they're selling their house at 1.5, then they're buying at one point, or sorry, at 2.2, for example. So can the average upsizer afford, let's say that 700K difference in new mortgage? Well, the market says yes, right? Because we see it all the time. 
Um, and then let's think lastly here for first timers. If you're a first time home buyer, um, you have probably been watching the market for what six months, a year. And if you're in that position, for you, 5% overnight rate is just normal because that's all you've ever known because that's when you've been paying attention to the market, right? So it's a lot of these people that are considering buying today, they weren't considering three years ago when the overnight rate was zero, basically, uh, because they weren't in the market then. So anyone who's looking today that's only been looking for one, two, three, six, 12 months, they're going to, uh, if it makes sense for them, they're going to buy what they can afford. And then, you know, they're going to afford what they can buy. And that's sort of my take on, uh, I think, a little bit of the landscape of what we can expect to see moving forward in 2024. Yeah, I've got an interesting take, too. And um, just kind of backing off of <clears throat> what Dan has just said, but also alluding to, you know, trying to make sense of this interest rate forecast, because I think a lot of people are waiting until they see that to make a decision. And so to kind of understand maybe why it's so difficult to predict when that's going to take place. Let, let me just summarize a little bit what's happened over the last couple of years in a very short and concise argument. And as I've alluded to many times on the podcast, the downturn was created first by deploying free money during COVID, followed by an extreme drop in interest rates that led to an explosive economy forcing not only homeowners, but businesses to compete with expanding money supply, offering jobs to not only meet demand, but also to compete in their relative industries. And this ended up putting employers in precarious positions, as we kind of see them now. Though this surge in activity led to a surge in spending, and I believe will have a lasting effect, arguably permanent, on our economy. We still don't know all of the outcomes of the decisions that were made over the last two years, and we're playing them out in real time. In many ways, we're also paying for a lot of that money that was given to us now, back then. What's sad is a lot of folks are, are the ones that are paying for it are really aren't the ones who created the inflation in the first place. So what if we can't get inflation back to 2%? What does that mean for interest rates? Fundamentally, when you print and inject something like $300 billion into an economy, and then you add 2 million people to a population base, you increase demand and put more pressure on market suppliers who can't meet the demand because of interest rates. And arguably, I would say the rules of that particular game have changed and a new problem is beginning to emerge. For those who know eco economics, ceteris paribus is a Latin phrase that generally means all things being equal. And in economics, it acts as a shorthand indication of the effect of one economic variable has on another, provided all the other ones remain the same. So if we consider where one economic variable, be it interest rates or money supply, has on another, think inflation rate or jobs, provided that all other variables remain the same, though they haven't, think housing supply, then theoretically, we could return to an inflation rate that was similar to what we saw prior to COVID. But our population base has grown by 2 million people. And in that time, many housing providers have failed to bring on new supply because they simply can't pencil it out right now. It just doesn't really work to build in today's economic environment. So arguably, the rules have changed. The supply and demand balance has fundamentally changed. So I would argue 
that where we were two years ago is maybe not necessarily somewhere we can go back to. And that's why it's so hard to predict how long this will go on for and when rates will really effectively change. And lastly, and I think this is maybe an opinion piece, but it really begs the question, if our inflation target band will forever be pushed higher as a result of the decisions made over the last two years, then perhaps we have deceptively and somewhat ignorantly eroded the value of our own currency instead of seeing the value of those assets rise. It's a question of debasement versus appreciation, and it depends on how you look at the situation. Either way, the disparity between those who have the opportunity to buy homes and those who don't feels like it's becoming more extreme. It is, yeah. I think that was a big thing we saw in COVID is the the gap in financial wealth. The economic divide was extenuated. And and I think it's still happening now. And and it's it's very difficult to to watch and it's it's almost impossible to fix. Um and I think one thing I also gathered from your piece there, Ryan, is it's it's no longer higher for longer. It's higher forever. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, I, no, I, and and listen, you know, I I think that's a hard message for some people to hear, right? I mean, we went from effectively twenty years of incredibly cheap and low interest rates, incredibly cheap money, very low interest rates, uh, and relatively very little change in that environment. I mean, people, how many times have you gone around and in the last two years heard your parents or heard, you know, folks from another generation? So I remember when interest rates were 22%. Well, that was back when, you know, GDP uh, or or household debt to GDP was at about 80%. Now it's 180%. So when you take that into effect, a quarter percent change in in an interest rate has a two to three percent effect. Uh, like it would have had in the 80s. So we don't need to go up to 22% to crash the economy. And it's so I, I, I think a lot of people kind of struggle with why is it that only a quarter point or, or uh, a half a percentage point would make such a big deal? It, it would make a huge deal. And it's because of the debt that we carry. And arguably, the debasement of the currency over the last, you know, three, four years of pumping and pumping and injecting money to keep things afloat. So one thing that we wanted to touch on here as well, and, and this definitely comes into the affordability factor as well when it comes to housing, and that's the single family home. Because there's a few metrics here that are becoming quite fascinating. And that includes the fact that uh, at the latest print here, single family home, new building permits just hit a 45 year low in Canada. 45 year low. We're going back to the 80s here. And another way of looking at that is that is uh, one new single family home for every 25 people added to the population. One in 25. That's not total population. That's newly added. And you have to think here, of course, the vast majority of single family homes that are being torn down now are not being rebuilt into single family homes. They're being rebuilt into duplexes and triplexes. And when the multiplex plan comes down, four, five, or six units. So if you've been considering a move and owning some some land, a, a detached home, consider about these facts. Like think about this, because of course the detached home is is disappearing essentially, you know, especially here in, in Vancouver, and it's increasing at an accelerating rate of speed. So I mean, there's no real need to overthink this. Just you know, new housing supply for single family homes will be very low 
for at least the next couple of years. And we essentially know what happens when an asset to an asset price when that asset becomes increasingly rare. So expect the single family home in Vancouver to become extremely rare, increasingly rare, and ultimately, you know, seeing those prices crop up over time, you know, because you got to think a lot of developers are targeting them now even more so than homeowners, right? If that piece of land that could have been in one or two homes can now be six, it has inherent increased value. I don't disagree, especially when you consider the population rate change, you know, where this is where we're needing to find solutions to what's going to be a problem further down the road, not just now too. Yeah, absolutely. So lots to think about on this episode. As always, we really appreciate you tuning in. Have a wonderful day and we will see you here next week. Bye. That wraps up this edition of the Vancouver Life Podcast. For more information on this podcast and to access a ton of free downloads, investment opportunities, current market info, and homes for sale, you can find it all at www.thevancouverlife.com. Thanks, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts about Vancouver real estate.